Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. The U.S. stock and bond markets have benefited by large inflows of dollars as international relationships and supply chains have deteriorated, particularly from the time the COVID pandemic brought lockdowns. During the pandemic, the Federal Reserve, in cooperation with congressional deficit spending, added trillions of dollars to the U.S. money supply, which predictably moved the official consumer price index to over 9% a year, with the actual inflation rate, as we've covered in prior podcasts, approximately twice the official consumer price index. Added to the Fed's money printing and Congress's pandemic spending deficits, we moved as a country to add hundreds of billions of dollars of direct support to the Ukraine-Russia war, and along the way locked in what now appears to be a normal $1 to $2 trillion federal budget deficit every year, especially given that the U.S. Treasury interest expenses on the federal debt have now moved up from $400 billion a year or two ago to approximately $1.2 trillion a year now. This is a good time to recall that all of the U.S. tax collections, all of their other taxes and duties, and all the Social Security contributions they collect amount to only about $4 trillion a year. And we are spending 5 to $6 trillion a year as sort of a normal type of future course now. One problem is that as we keep adding the deficits and keep adding new uh, federal bonds and federal notes and T-bills to finance them, we add interest expense. And now we've added over $800 billion of interest expenses in the past couple of years to finance the federal debt when the U.S. is already in a $1 to $2 trillion annual deficit situation. We are really out of control and we're getting more and more out of control, sorry to say. Meanwhile, in China, a real estate depression is underway. In fact, today, Monday, January 29th, Evergrande in the Hong Kong bankruptcy court was finally wrapped up to where the hundreds of billions of dollars of debt that Evergrande has is going to go through a foreclosure process and It appears that only pennies on the dollar are expected for these debt holders. But probably the most important part of the Hong Kong decision today is that Evergrande is going to have to begin selling their real estate and price discovery will take place, which is going to affect bank balance sheets because a lot of the loans to Evergrande are being carried at their initial loan amounts and their values, which could be close to zero today's values of that debt with a bankrupt company. Maybe the only saving grace for those in China who own Evergrande bonds and Evergrande debt is the China mainland may not totally go along with a Hong Kong court decision. So in the case they don't, then only the international bondholders of Evergrande will lose everything. And the Chinese may decide internally to prop up the Evergrande properties by creating more and more money and thereby more and more inflation in China. So things are sort of a real mess, but it goes beyond Evergrande. 
many of their top real estate developers have entered bankruptcy or the equivalent. In other words, they've stopped making payments on debt. And several of their largest banks are in deep trouble, even though they're not recognizing that today. Consider that estimates range from 40 to 60 million new and under construction homes in China and condos are unoccupied. And many of these have already been mortgaged. In other words, Chinese buyers have already committed to the mortgage terms and conditions and made down payments before construction actually started on the new condos and homes. And presently, it appears that 40 to 60 million homes are in existence, the new homes, and are under construction are and will be unoccupied. Tremendous amount of overbuilding. I mention this because if the Chinese central bank does not create massive amounts of money to cover up these real estate issues. And this issue could be much larger than the U.S. securitized mortgage problems back in 2007, 8, and 9, when the global financial system almost came to a halt. In that case, as we all know, Congress committed hundreds of billions of dollars to new programs. The Federal Reserve committed hundreds of billions of dollars to new programs. Trillions of dollars of money was created, and we entered a period of inflation, which, as I mentioned earlier, with the consumer price index actually for a period of time going above 9%. So we here today, or at least myself today, will actually say that we didn't factor this in last year as much as we should have, the China real estate issues. And we were actually anticipating a growing Chinese recovery, which is not happening. And given their real estate meltdown may be greater than our own Great Recession back in 2007, 8, and 9, China may have an outsized impact on the global financial markets and actually global growth. So just as the Fed is taking a victory lap on the U.S. consumer price index dropping from the highs, we have to deal with a new war zone that is almost closing the Suez Canal traffic and adding a double or more to shipping costs. Everything from exports from China and Taiwan to oil shipments from the Middle East to Europe and to the U.S. East Coast. A lesser known news item is shipments through the Panama Canal are backed up about 20 days. And this has been an issue brought on by a drought that has left the canal without enough water. And that water is used to raise and lower ships, forcing officials to slash the number of vessels that they can allow through the canal. All in all, the World Container Index of Expenses has actually gone, if you look at a chart in the past three or four weeks, has gone pretty much straight up and almost doubled, pretty much. That's the World Container Index. So shipping costs are getting out of control, and that's going to have a direct impact on future inflation. In the bigger picture, instead of a recovery from COVID, Europe and China, among other countries, are facing deepening recessions that are certainly going to be exacerbated by shipping costs doubling. All the above, in addition to economic fallout, does not bode well for international political stability. Week to week, China's leadership is becoming more threatened by their own economic situation, making me wonder if a takeover of Taiwan can present them with a distraction for their own populace. Sadly, I'm also beginning to think about the U.S. becoming more polarized, if not destabilized, due to the Gaza-Israel-Iran fighting, and given our internal dissents that are best illustrated this week by the Texas-U.S. government-Mexico challenges, the border challenges. And all of the above is compounded by a U.S. election year 
with the U.S. population getting more and more polarized. It's also important to keep in mind that the long-term implications of a growing split between the Western Bloc countries and the growing BRIC coalition. On one hand, we have the North American, Western Europe, Japan, and Australia team. On the other, we have China, Brazil, the OPEC, the oil countries, and Iran, plus 30 or more BRIC members and BRIC applicants. As covered in our initial podcasts more than two years ago, we foresee creating new supply chains to replace the Western dependence on China and China replacing China's reliance on U.S. markets. This is happening. This is gaining momentum. And the outcome is and will be higher prices, which means higher inflation. That being said, global investors may well prefer the U.S. markets for their investment monies for years to come. So we live in interesting times, but the large global capital pools of money can be really fickle. So a lot of the capital flows that are moving now into the United States could change pretty quickly, which makes investing at new high prices in the stock market and a strong bond market in the United States, in my view, riskier and riskier. And we just need to be watchful and cautious about risking our own savings and our own retirement funds. Never mind the threats and issues, the U.S. bond and stock markets continue as if all is well. Maybe it's time to summarize just how our U.S. markets stack up versus other U.S. markets and how much out of alignment this is becoming. For example, the U.S., if we do a plot on a chart of the U.S. stock market value versus the U.S. gross national product, we find that the U.S. market value is about 180% higher than the U.S. GDP. Japan is about 149%. Canada is 133%. India 110%. France under 100%. And so it goes. The Latin American countries are 40 to 50% of GNP in terms of GDP in terms of their market, their stock market values. I should also mention that the United States stock market accounts for somewhere close to two-thirds of the value of the entire world's stock markets. So that's how far, I guess, out on a limb we're going and we've gone. In fact, some of our large Fortune 500 companies, for example, Microsoft and some of the high-tech companies, Apple, their market value is greater than the whole market value of the entire stock market in a lot of countries. It's great to have this kind of support. And this has all been actually occurring in the past two to three years, which to me generates a lot of discomfort about added risks because as fast as trends can move up, they can move down. And some of the reasons that I'm concerned about the down part is because earnings revisions are coming in now from our American companies. And 2023, a few months ago, is starting to look like 2008 did back during the Great Financial Recession. For example, for the year 2023, we've had 91% of the companies make downward earnings revisions, with only 9% making upward revisions. In 2008, the same percentage is, is almost the same percentage as 92% versus 8%. But if we go back over the past 25 years or so, it's pretty balanced. Typically, it's more like 50-50. Half of the companies are revising earnings upwards, half are revising earnings downward. So we're at the point now where earnings revisions are coming in very rapidly and they're coming in to be downwardly revised. And I'm talking about the past week or two or three. This week, by the way, is an important week for earnings and earnings expectations. 
a lot of the S&P 500 companies are reporting this week. A lot of the high-tech companies are reporting toward the end of this week. So we are in a period where there could be opportunities for a lot of revisions. How different is the downward revision in some of our large companies? Well, I don't, I don't know yet, but in Microsoft, the free cash flow estimates for Microsoft have been going down pretty much straight down for the past six months. And that is as the enterprise value of Microsoft has been going straight up. So for the past six months or so, maybe the investors haven't been paying attention to the large declines in free cash flow in Microsoft. And the same goes for Apple. Apple's free cash flow has been going straight down for the past six or eight months, and their valuations have stayed up pretty close to record highs. Same thing for Tesla, actually. Free cash flows have been going down steadily, month by month by month. And the market values of Tesla, they've certainly held up, if not increased significantly in the past few months, certainly the past year. I've mentioned this before, but if we look at the Standard & Poor's 500 index by sector, I have charts in front of me. Sorry, I can't share them visually. But the IT or the technology sector, again, has been the one hitting new highs. It's been the one holding up all the rest. And all the rest of the segments, which go from industrials to consumer discretionary, utilities, financials, consumer staples, healthcare, energy, materials, REITs, communication services, and so forth, have been stable for the, all of the COVID years. Have been, they've actually been stable. They've not been increasing at all over the, over the past three or four years. But the IT or the technology index has been booming. That's what we've been betting on. That's what we continue to bet on. And we see that also if we looked at the price-earnings ratios in the MSCI world sector funds. The average price-earnings ratios in the world, for example, for the technology sector is about 18 or 19 to 1 in the United States. We're actually above 35 in many of the companies. And the world index is up above 25 also in recent months. Energy has been the opposite. The average price earnings ratio in industry in the industry in the world index has been about 18 over the past 10 years, and we are only at about 9.8 now. So energy has been beaten down in this environment. Many of the other indices are fairly close to their average values in the world index. So again, the technology sector stands out. And this is in a period where employment in the United States has actually been misstated and misinterpreted, in my opinion. There are those who quote that the United States has had real job growth, and the data I look at shows that full-time workers in the United States have not had real job growth. Part-time workers have. But in terms of the total job growth in the United States, a 3 million amount has been quoted in the media, 3 million job growth but all that growth has been for those born outside the United States. So there's been job growth in part-time jobs and for those not born in the United States. And for those born in the United States, the job growth has been negative. It's been a decline of 1.5 million jobs. And the increases have been mainly in hospitality and in low-pay jobs, which, and again, the part-time jobs. In the recent few weeks, Job cuts have been announced in some large numbers. The company Twitch has announced terminating 35% of their workforce. Hasbro in the toy sector, 20% of their workforce. Spotify, 17% of their workforce. Levi's, 
15% of their workforce, Xerox, 15% terminations in the same in the workforce, Qualtrics, the survey company, 14% of the workforce to be terminated, Wayfair, 13% of the workforce, Duolingo, 10% the Washington Post, 10% eBay, 9%, Business Insider, 8%, Charles Schwab, 6%, BlackRock, 3%, Citigroup, 20,000 employees, Pixar, 1,300 employees in 2022 and early 2023, and overall, we have noted 300,000 layoffs, but they're focused in the high-tech companies. Now we're seeing layoffs across all industries as we enter 2024. At this point, I will mention one final item, and that is an analysis of when recessions begin versus when the Federal Reserve stops making their rate increases and there are, there are those who argue that the Federal Reserve has stopped making rate increases. We'll find out soon. We'll find out over the next several days, so we don't have long to wait. There are those who anticipate a Federal Reserve rate cut. Could be the case. I would personally would not bet on it. But going back to my point, the number of days from the time the Federal Reserve stops increasing interest rates in all the recessions that we have for example, I can give you the dates, 1974, 1980, and the result over the next 200 days, if we use the data from past recessions and Fed increases, implies almost a 25% decrease in the Standard & Poor's 500 stocks. So I'll say that again. If the past bears a strong resemblance to the future and looking at the past 45 or so years, actually a little bit longer than that, past 50 years. There's an argument, a very strong argument, that if we are counting from the time the Fed has not made interest rate increases, we could expect a 25% or so stock market decline in 2024. So with that, I will bid you great success navigating these troubled waters. Let's keep in touch. Let's exchange ideas together as we've been doing. And with your own money, really be cautious and try as much as possible to not only avoid debt, but to pay down debt. There is a reasonable argument that interest rates are not going to continue going down in the environment that we're facing. Goodbye for now. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.